Welcome back to part two of the Canadian Music Series. In the first episode, we gave an introduction into what we will basically be talking about, and today's episode is going to be about the Rascals and their music. As we mentioned in episode one, DJ Kimo, the producer and DJ of the group, was nice enough to give us an interview and answer some of the questions we had for him. Hopefully, we will be able to do all of these great artists justice with these podcasts. For those that don't know, the Rascals are a Canadian hip-hop group from Vancouver, British Columbia. They played a crucial role in the artistic and commercial development of Canadian hip-hop. The group consists of MCs Red One and Misfit and record producer DJ Kimo. The group was formed in 1991 and they released their independent album, which was called Really Livin', as the Ragamuffin Rascals. But a reworked album was later released in 1993 by Sony Canada Music as The Rascals. Now, in 1998, the Rascals wrote a special one-off single, which is probably one of the bigger Canadian hip-hop hits, featuring quite a few Canadian artists. For those of you that listened to hip-hop at that time, you will all be familiar with this song, and it was called Northern Touch. It included rappers Checkmate, Cardinal, Thrust, and Chocolaire. It was a massive Canadian hip-hop hit that followed on the heels of 1991's Drop the Needle by Maestro Fresh West. His 1989 hit, Let Your Backbone Slide, was the first Canadian single to break into the national top 40 and the first to make it to the Billboard charts in the U.S. When Northern Touch hit the airwaves in 1998, it changed the whole Canadian rap scene. Let's have a listen. Now to tie this song in with Canadian history, the Rascals made a big impact at the 1998 Juno Awards by not accepting the award for this song. The reason for that was because of the lack of importance given to that award and ultimately the disrespect shown to the rap artists and all the hard work and sacrifice they put into making their music. These Canadian rap pioneers made a name and space for themselves and their craftsmanship would forever change the Canadian music landscape and as a result, this would have a big impact on the opportunities available to similar rap artists that followed in their footsteps. The way in which the award was given, how it was handled, that sent a clear message, and the message was, who cares? Here's your trophy. Next. Make way for the real music. And the Rascals would have none of it. The worst part of the award presentation for them was that it was given within the first few minutes of the non-televised portion of the show, even before the best children's album and the best symphonic instrumental arrangement. According to DJ Kimo, it was a straight token award, and they wanted it out of the way before people even got to their seats. The following year in 1999, the award was moved to the main show and they were able to perform the song live, which hadn't been done before at the Junos. Now, talking to DJ Kimo, we found out that some of the Rascals' music garnered a lot of respect in many places throughout the world. South America showed a lot of love for the track Gunfinger. Here's a clip. And next, we move on to Top of the World from their 1999 Global Warming album. This was probably their biggest and most widely played track when we were growing up. All over the world, yo, all over the world, spread the vibe. Big dogs from 
the West, we ride with the Walsh tribe. Me amigos at my side, ready to take the world on, do or die as the fly down low, lyrical vango. Top of the World was very well known in Colombia. We asked DJ Kimo about specific tracks hitting foreign markets in a big way, and he couldn't really explain the phenomenon. Maybe there was some part of the melody, the lyrics, the hook, the composition that suited their particular market. Who knows? Maybe there were some sort of local promotions going on for those particular songs. One of our favorite classic tunes from the Rascals is Warrior, and it blew up big time in Chile. Such a good track. Here's a clip. That's the mission, as it is, we gon' give on Sit down and listen to the youth My rendition is the life of the dark The sun and the stars, the telescope to see that Be the words in the bars And I know it's quite far, but we go step by step And I know it's quite hard, but you never forget Let me know if you are warrior Next, we're gonna have a listen to Dreaded Fist As a lyricist To the world as a terrorist So from a distance You see shrapnel in the free And in the instant You got to recognize it's weak Black belt dapper dance to the eighth degree. The champion is me, Red One. Cause I be the old veteran, me and the old veteran. I'm betting on with the knowledge. Dreaded Fist, a classic from their 1997 Cash Crop album, reached most underground DJs in California and went into heavy rotation throughout the clubs and music scenes in the U.S. And this is just another example of how some of our best hip-hop rap music had to be accepted, respected, and appreciated elsewhere before it was given its chance here in Canada. Now we're going to turn our attention to DJ Kimo. He has a lot of music credits to his name and has composed for the likes of Chaos, Cardinal, and Swollen members. We provided links to his mixing and mastering work and his discography on our website under our Featured Podcast Guests section. You can find these links on our Twitter page, at PodJerky. DJ Kimo started off in 1989 with one turntable and a four-track cassette recorder. This is when he started to hone his craft of music production. In 1990, he met and became good friends with Red One, and in 1991, along with Misfit and breakdancers Zebrock and Dettos, they formed the group The Ragamuffin Rascals. They later changed their name to The Rascals and released three successful Canadian hip-hop albums, which all helped to raise Kimo's profile in the industry as a prominent DJ and music producer. Having experience working with a mobile DJ company, playing at nightclubs, school dances, weddings, corporate functions, and at local hip-hop events since 91, Kimo has become a well-respected DJ in his scene. From Latin, house, hip-hop, funk, soul, reggae, top 40, and more, Kimo's musical influences across all genres and assist with his capabilities to rock a crowd of any size. His DJing has taken him to venues across Canada, right down to Santiago, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Europe, and Africa. Kimo has not only become a recognized figure in Vancouver's scene, but also in the Canadian and U.S. music industry. He has won numerous music awards in the past decade, which have pushed him to advance further as a producer and artist. He also belongs to a production team called Vanguards, which have produced many Canadian artists. Plus, he has also directed artists such as Concise. His resume also includes supplying soundscapes for TV shows, movies, video games, and commercials. Some of those include EA Sports, NBA Home Court, Fight Night 4, FIFA Street, Face Breaker, For Real TV. He did a Nike commercial um, with Amari Stoudemire. He did a legal tender. Free Agents, Clash of the Titans, and The Breakdown. And I asked DJ Kimo how he came up with his beats, 
and if they are based on certain artists or do you just randomly make the beats and see who needs them? And his response was that he pretty much makes the beats randomly, then presents them to the artists when they are looking for material, and rarely does he make something specific. That is interesting to me because I didn't know that that's the way that it was done. I mean, I know that a DJ will make his own music and shop it around or play it in clubs, but I didn't know that the artists were actually looking around for material. Most people don't realize, think about, or even consider all the behind-the-scenes work that is being done. We only focus on the final product and not the process. Most times, though, the process and the backstories, the collaborations and the studio experiences are the most interesting parts of the music making. That's the icing on a good cake. The stories behind the music are what propel the stories inside the music. The music making process is like a big storybook, and each creative segment has its own chapter till you reach the climax, the conclusion, where the final track gets published, uploaded, and streamed. We kind of touched base on this in our introduction episode, but we asked DJ Kimo what the difference in the market was between back then and nowadays, and he basically said that the market is incredibly oversaturated right now. Back in the day, the hardest part was making a good record and getting it into stores. The hard part was earning enough money to keep putting songs out. And this goes back to our first episode and the question of why do we think that some of the Canadian rappers have disappeared and the answer is simple. The rappers that made no money eventually stopped being or trying to be rappers. As discussed earlier, we will post the full interview on our website for you to read. All our links are posted on our Twitter feed, at PodJerky. We're also going to post the link to DJ Kimo's discography for all of you to go check out. So please head up our website and check out the link and show him some love. We also wanted to give a shout out to Roger Swan, who worked with DJ Kimo by producing and mixing a lot of the music. Going back to the Rascals as a group, we need to mention some of their other hits. And some of these other hits include Blind with the Science from their 1997 Cash Crop album. Really Living from their 1993 Really Living album. Where You At from their Global Warming album, 1999. Priceless. And C4 from the same album. And Crazy World, and that's from their Reloaded 2002 album. To my people on the concrete rolling in To them people on your block like strolling wind You kiss the lava man, start smoking man 
This should be like then you can't hold it, man. So I drop it like it's hot when I blow it in. Can't suppress this sound when I load it. They actually did a song called Game Time slash Sharpshooter, which included another Canadian icon, Brett the Hitman Hart. The Rascals wrote the song for Hart and named it after the wrestler's signature finishing move. They also sample his catchphrase, I am the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be in the chorus. Brett returned the favor by making an appearance in the video for the track by wearing his pink and black gear and passing the mic to the group in a wrestling ring. As Hart recently told MTV News, he was quite moved by the Rascals' lyrical salute. This is a direct quote from Bret Hart. I sensed in the couple of times that we've met that the words in the song and how they interpret the song mean a lot to them, Hart explained. I think the whole group are really big fans of mine. They really loved the documentary and they really wanted to do something that related to them and related to me. So I look at that song actually as a kind of a nice tribute. As time went on, the Rascals probably saw that the trade winds of the Canadian music industry were not favorable and, in fact, were blowing in a different direction. The industry acceptance of rap, hip-hop, just wasn't at the scale that it needed to be, and Red One eventually had enough of the music industry's lack of acceptance for the Rascals and their music. And at that point, as a group, they were pretty much done. Red One went out in style with the aptly titled solo album called Beg for Nothing, under his independent label called Kilowatt Records. So there you have it. This was our tribute to the Rascals, one of the most important rap hip-hop groups to come out of Canada. Again, we were fortunate enough to get some information from DJ Kimo that we may not have known otherwise, and we appreciate him taking the time to talk to us. Our next episode is going to feature some other Canadian hip-hop artists, including Chocolaire, Socrates, and Thrust. And once again, we do want to thank DJ Kimo for giving us the time to actually sit there on social media with us and talk with us for about an hour and a half and give us a real insight into some of the stuff that the Rascals had to go through back in the day and how to get their music out there. Uh, So thank you again. And please go and check out all of his music, his discography. All the links, again, are posted on our website. Everything will be posted at Pod Jerky on Twitter. So now we're going to just talk a little bit about our take on what happened to the Rascals, where they are now. And Director Awesome just wanted to ask, during the interview with DJ Kimo, did he mention anything about the backstory of how those guys got together, if they're still together, what they're doing right now? They're not together now. They really don't have any plans for future music. But when I was talking to DJ Kimo, he just said, like, Red One is actually the social guy of the group. He kind of keeps in touch with all of the other artists. DJ Kimo, not so much. It was funny because he actually mentioned to me that because he's a DJ, he spends a lot of time working on his music. So he's actually been practicing social distancing for quite a few years now. Like they had no intentions of coming out with anything new. But in terms of like, I guess, misfit in the group, you don't really hear much about him anymore. I mean, I still hear from time to time a few things about Red One. And if you were to research, a lot of stuff comes up about Red One. But you don't hear a lot about misfit. And it's almost like he's been scraped off the Internet. And and we have our theories of why certain groups really don't exist around on the Internet. You can find their videos, no problem. But trying to do research on these guys was a little bit difficult just because all of the information is not really out there conspiracy theories for the old school canadian rappers you know it goes back to part of the interview that i spoke to a dj chemo about and 
you know, I kind of brought up, was it a racism thing in the past with radio stations? Was it a money thing? You know, and it was kind of almost a little bit of this, a little bit of that, where the the music stations actually didn't have the interest in that type of music at that time. So they didn't really want to put that music on the airwaves. But also there were people in the music industry that didn't like urban music. So, of course, it wasn't going to get played. So there was a hint of racism kind of there. And there was they didn't think that it was going to make the money. Although, you know, a lot of my friends growing up, um, a lot of people in the high schools that, that I went to were listening to this music, whether they were getting it bootlegged. I don't know. Uh, whether they were purchasing it. I know I purchased all my albums back in the day. And, you know, I thought it was doing very well. But, you know, these artists today, you know, if you ask anybody, you nobody knows who these guys are. And it's a shame because they were so talented. I have a theory that maybe the music industry has a ceiling. So if you don't break through that ceiling in terms of money that's coming in, then they just don't give a shit. So you have to maybe, let's say, make a minimum amount for the industry and then they'll start taking you seriously. You know, but that's, they also that's have just... to be given the opportunity too, right? If they're not given the opportunity for the music to go, you know, like how are they supposed to get the money made for that industry, right? There was a quote from Chaos during one of his interviews and he was joking around, but he was being serious. And I think he said basically that we had flow and that's our local hip hop music station here in Toronto. And then I think he said that Chum bought it. So he was basically calling out the industry, saying that they had this vehicle that they could have taken and used to properly promote the music. But then it was purchased outright by the corporate bigwigs who were running the music industry, the radio stations. And they basically took that away from them. And so he was, you could tell by him just joking around, he was pissed off. And he was just basically saying, you know, we wanted to do something special, but you guys cut us off at the knees and here we are. So it's just sad just seeing them they're sort of all disbanded doing their own little thing here and there projects but they never really made it big and another thing too that i was looking at a recent series regarding drake and how he works with the up-and-coming younger rappers and maybe that's something that they should do if they want to put some more fire into their careers you know instead of just focusing on themselves which i understand right they're artists they do their own thing but maybe work with other people and try to broaden their appeal keep relevant because by keeping relevant that helps also with your creativity the more people that you work with it keeps you fresh so that you don't get stale you don't get stuck in this zone and then you know you fade away and that seems to have happened with a lot of these guys which is unfortunate because they're amazing artists amazing singers and we can see that unfortunately a lot of the younger kids the younger generation they don't know about these guys they haven't been exposed to them and i gotta say even with the local hip-hop stations again it comes back to the corporate mentality of money Tell me, when have you ever heard a Rascal song or any of these other tracks from back in the day, right? When if on you a way it, on a way back playback station, you never hear it either, right? Yeah, you never like, hear these tracks, and I'm thinking this stuff is so good, you never hear about it. And what about this whole supporting Canadian music? Where did that go? Because if they're going to really support Canadian music, they should be supporting these guys and playing their tracks. We should be hearing about them. I never hear these songs on the radio ever. Well, Do you in hear the beginning, about it? No, never. But in the beginning of like 1990, Milestone Radio 
you'll actually like apply to the CRTC to get an urban music station. Mm-hmm. And that actually was shut down. And it was actually a country music station that replaced it. So the urban music station didn't actually get approved by the CRTC. And that was kind of like a nail in the coffin for the music. We didn't really have that station back then. I mean, today we still, I'm not sure if the flow station is still around today. It Uh, is. uh, I kind of listen to more podcasts in the car now than I do radio Mm -hmm. stations. Mm -hmm. So everybody subscribe to our podcast so you can listen to our podcast in your cars. But yeah, I mean, like different radio stations weren't there for this type of music to be played. And it's a shame. The CRTC, for those of you that don't know, is just basically the governing body that takes care of the radio stations and and all that stuff. They oversee everything and have all these rules, regulations and stuff like that. But ultimately, the the Canadian radio, television and telecommunications commission. Ultimately, it comes back to money and the influence of all these power brokers in the back doing their own thing, running their monopolies and not giving these startups a chance. Because I'm sure that if that group that was looking for a broadcast license to start up their urban radio station, I'm sure if they got a chance, they would have done a killer job. But unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out like that. And these days, it seems like the only way that these newer artists can get out right now is doing the YouTube, TikTok, SoundCloud, Spotify. And that also ties into some of the comments that Thrust made regarding one of his interviews, where basically the labels are dead. They don't matter anymore. I mean, the record labels in the past had their place and time, but not anymore. And I guess that also ties into as well the whole social distancing, which is a phenomenon, especially for these younger kids, because we're all interconnected now through social media, but we're all distanced. We're all doing our own thing. We're all by ourselves. So it's really interesting that play. It's like a night and day yin and yang type thing, right? It's really weird. What do you think about that? Uh, I kind of zoned out there. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> no, I not I gonna lie. Just... Kind of zoned. I was like looking out pictures on my wall for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Good job, Director yeah. Awesome. Thank you for paying attention during the podcast. That's a fail. I was just saying that with the social media, it's not social at all. It turns you antisocial in a way because just think about it in order to make it into the music industry these days here you have to do everything by yourself you make your own music you download an app you get some tracks off the net you maybe email some people you facetime whatever the hell people are doing these days here you upload to soundcloud tiktok youtube and then you're on your own you might have your team of two or three people helping you out maybe your buddies doing your own thing and pushing your music so it's really interesting how they're making music and how they're pushing the music now compared to in the past when the rest well, around. I think once you get to be bigger, then that's where you're going to need your team of people. I mean, every great artist has a, a really good team behind them. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you can go on YouTube, you can try and get noticed. I mean, you watch the news every day and you see all kinds of videos that people post on YouTube. They're getting lots of hits and, and all this. And then it's up to more of a record company to sign them. Canada actually has something called Canada's Got Talent on breakfast television right now. And the population is voting for them. And the top three are actually going to get judged by Simon Cowell, who is a huge music producer in the U.S. and the U.K., and he's going to do the judging and pick the winner for Canada's Got Talent, which I think is great. But if they don't sign a contract, then there's no need to have a team. 
what was I going to say? I had a good thought and then it just slid off the plate. That happens a lot with us. It does. Yes. Um, just trying to think here. No, it's gone. It's called old. The old kicked in, pushed out the really good idea that I was going to discuss and that's it. Toast. Oh, I know what it was going to be about. I was going to talk about the link that I sent you regarding that special regarding Drake. I think it was an eight part look into oh, with Socrates. Yeah, it included Socrates, but basically Drake's career from beginning to present. And this guy is a mastermind at working social media looking at all the angles and things like that. And it was really interesting listening to some of the comments that were being made and how they set up these videos and they try to make memes out of it. And then they have like their army of Drake fans pushing all this stuff, doing online battles with other rappers when they got like some something going on. Really, really interesting. And well, maybe that's how we have to get our podcast out there is create a pod jerky army and have them be pushing <laughs> out the material for us and uh, be able to get noticed a little bit more. We want to get more subscribers. We want to get more listeners. Uh, We want to get more downloads. So maybe we do the same thing that Drake follow in his footsteps and create the pod jerky army. That's going to be a a Twitter handle. Do not take it. That's ours. (laughs) The only thing is the street cred is missing and we don't have our own clothing line, our own private jet liner, our 20,000 square foot mansion in downtown Toronto, wherever the hell he has his place. Well, that's the goal, right? That's the goal. We want to get there. Yeah, and you open up your Cadillac limo's trunk and then you have 40 bottles of top-end champagne just lying there, you know, the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Again, talking to DJ Kimo about how it's so different today to what it was back then is they didn't have those social media channels to push it. He talks about Drake in the interview and talks about how there are no record labels, no team that would be able to push Drake to the heights that he is at today. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all the actual behind the scenes thing, the social media pushes, uh, the clothing line. Like it's all of that stuff that actually f- gets Drake to where he is. If it was just a record label, there's no way he would be at the heights he is today. Yeah, it was really an interesting look at his career and all the stuff that you find out about, especially when we're doing the research for these episodes. It's just like peeling back an onion and has so many layers to it. And you find out so many little nuggets of information that ties this artist with that artist with, you know, some guys in the States with a producer down in Louisiana and then somebody here in Toronto and it's really cool. There was another part that I came across where Socrates was talking about Drake and we're going to be going more into this in the next episode but Socrates had a part to play in Drake in his career you know. If you're not connected with the vibe and the scene in Toronto or the music industry you wouldn't know about it because these guys are low-key. They keep things down low. They're humble right and it was really interesting to hear this stuff and there were some really good audio clips of Socrates just talking about how things got off the ground what kind of things they were doing at the time their perspective maybe we could include some of that in a future episode I'm not sure but for now we'll leave it there I would love to get these guys on the show to actually hear their perspectives on the music industry now versus back when they were actually doing the music 
a lot of their stuff got played on much music but again like i said in one of the videos that i had posted on our youtube channel that the struggle for just us as fans was actually putting in a six-hour vhs tape and pushing record in hopes that you caught one of the music videos while you were gone to work or school or whatever it was to today as you know you type it into youtube and there it is you have to do nothing to actually get that video so it's very easily accessed for artists today it's very out there where for them it was very difficult and i'd love to get their take on how much more work was being put in just to promote their product versus how much easier it is today i know there's a lot of work in putting in your stuff to youtube or you know having to do a lot of the social media work but what was the difference between the two time frames there with the amount of work that had to go into doing it the rappers at that time basically had to take money out of their own pocket and get their stuff on vinyl. And that was the only way that they would get any plays or even any cred. Like before, if you didn't have vinyl, no one would even look at you. Well, that was- like I mentioned in the first episode with one of the groups, I went to high school with one of the guys from Ghetto Concept. I was actually friends with his brother. He was a little bit older than I was, but they released an album in the stores. I found it at HMV and I was talking to DJ Akimo about that, and he said, yeah, they were more of an independent group, and they weren't actually able to push their stuff out. Could they have been a lot bigger than they were? Probably. But again, back in the day, you didn't have the outlets to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you said that you reached out to them. You sent them a message. Are they actually still around? The group is not around anymore. Um, I reached out to the guy that actually went to my high school. Uh, I never heard back from him. I don't even know. Maybe he didn't even receive my message. But I did try reaching out to him to see if we can get some of his material for the show. But I never heard back from him. And again, we want to take the proper channels in order to do this. Like we said, Rascals, DJ Kimo has given us permission to play the music online on our podcast and use the links actually for his music. Socrates, Chuck Claire. They've given us permission. Chaos, chaos, we're still coming for you. Don't worry. We're still coming. Don't think we forgot about you. Again, like the other Canadian artists that we have, Brian Adams, Finger Eleven, you know, they've given us the permission to do it. So I never heard back from the guy from Ghetto Concept, which is a shame. But, you know, I tried. Maybe in the future he'll get back to me and we'll be able to have him on the show one day. Hopefully when this episode is published, DJ Kimo can help us with some of the promotion. Maybe he can send it out to all of his buddies and then eventually some of this information and some of these discussions that we're having, you know, maybe that we can get some of these artists on. Maybe they'll hear the podcast episode and then they'll agree to come on in the future. Hopefully we'll see. Who knows? Well, D- DJ Kimo, I'm going to actually contact with uh, the link once it is published and ready to go live. And I'm hoping that he'll listen to it, give us a thumbs up, send it out to, you know, his uh, his list of, of friends. And then if you're listening to it, DJ Kimo, we'd love to have you on as a guest. So you can contact me and we'd love to have you on and discuss further music, Canadian music specifically. So get back to me and let me know if you want to come on the show as a guest. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. And in part three, we're going to be looking at Socrates, Thrust, and Chocolair. We'll talk about some of the things that they've been mentioning in recent interviews, which will shed some light as to where they are in their music careers, what's going on in the industry, and things of that sort. So that's about it for us. I'm Master Impressive. I'm Director Awesome. And as always, stay safe, be kind to each other, and we will see you later.
Jersey.